The Philharmonic Gets Dressed by Carla Cuskin. Illustrations by Mark Sinant. It's almost Friday night. Outside, the dark is getting darker and the cold is getting colder. Inside, lights are coming on in houses and apartment buildings. And here and there, uptown and downtown and across the bridges of the city, 105 people are getting dressed to go to work. First, they get washed. There are 92 men and 13 women. Many take showers, a few take baths. Two men and three women run bubble baths, and one man reads in the tub while the cat watches. One woman sits in the bubbles and sings. When they finished washing, they dry. They use big towels and little towels and a lot of dusting powder. All the men shave except for three who have beards, two trim. Then when the 105 people are showered and bathed, shaved and towel, dusted and dried, they put on their underwear. The men wear undershorts or briefs. Some of the men wear t-shirt undershirts with sleeves. Some wear undershirts without sleeves, and a few of the 92 do not wear undershirts at all. But night and the temperature falling, and one thin man buttons up a suit of long, suit of long-sleeved, long-legged underwear. All the men put on black socks. There are short socks and long socks and fancy silk socks that have decorations called clocks. Some of the men wear leg garters to keep the long socks from falling down around their ankles. The 13 women put on different kinds of complicated underwear, underpants, pantyhose or stockings, petticoats or slips, and brassieres. One woman whose feet always freeze pulls on wool socks over her stockings. When all the men have the underwear on, they get into long-sleeved white shirts and button them up. Then they put on black trousers. 45 men stand up to get into their pants. 47 sit down. Each pair of pants has a shiny black stripe down the outside of each leg. The men zip zippers and button a button or two. One man has wavy black hair streaked with white like lightning. He puts on a very soft white shirt with ruffles down the front. It has special cuffs that fasten with cufflinks. This man hooks a wide black cloth belt around his waist. The belt is called a cummerbund. None of the other men wear belts with their pants. They button suspenders onto the waistlines of their pants and snap the suspenders over their shoulders. Eight women dress in long black skirts. They wear black tops, sweaters, or blouses. Four women put on long black dresses, and one wears a black jumper over a black shirt. A few of the women put jewelry on, a necklace, earrings, but no bracelets. Bracelets would get in the way when they're working. All of the men put on black bow ties. Some tie them on in front of mirrors. Some stare into space and tie them. The thin man whistles a tune as he ties his tie on. 27 men clip on ties that are already made into bows. The man with the wavy black and white hair, the roughly shirt and the cummerbund ties on a very big white bow tie. It looks like a white bat. No one else has a tie like his. He slips on a white vest and then a black jacket that is short in the front and long in the back where it divides in two like black beetle wings. The jacket and pants are called tails. Tonight, all the other 91 men put on tuxedo jackets. These are black too with shiny satin lapels, but they do not have that beetle wing back. When all the men and women are completely dressed in black and white, they get ready to go out. They put on overcoats, jackets or capes, boots or rubbers, mittens or gloves, some scarves, many hats, a few earmuffs. Then almost everyone picks up a case. 
The cases are different shapes and shades of black and brown. The man with the dark wavy hair with the white lightning in it, the ruffly shirt, cummerbund and bow tie that looks like a white bat, bat picks up a very thin leather briefcase. No one else has a case like his. All the 105 men and women say goodbye. Goodbye to mothers, fathers, husbands, wives, or friends, children, dogs, birds, a cat, whoever's staying at home. Then they walk out of 105 doors into 105 streets, and there they take cabs, cars, subways, or buses to the middle of the city. The man with the black and white wavy hair wears a black coat with a velvet collar and a white silk scarf. He steps into a very long car that is waiting for him outside his apartment building. While the driver drives, the man opens his case and looks at some papers. He sings a little and hums. At 8.25 on Friday night in the middle of the city, 104 people walk onto the big stage in Philharmonic Hall. They have left their overcoats, jackets or capes, boots or rubbers, mittens or gloves, some scarves, many hats, a few earmuffs backstage in dark green metal lockers. They have left their cases in different shapes and shades of black and brown back there too. Now 101 of the men and women are carrying the musical instruments that were in those cases. Three people do not carry instruments. They are the harpist who plays the harp and the two timpanists who play the kettle drums and smaller percussion instruments, the cymbals, a gong. These instruments are too heavy to carry around. They are already on the stage. There are 102 chairs on the stage and two stools. Near each of these is a music stand with sheets of music on it. The 104 people take their seats. The double bass players sit on stools. Everyone runs to the, turns to the first page of music. It is a white page covered with black lines and musical notes. The man with the black wavy hair lit up with white enters. He walks to the front of the stage and steps one step up onto a box called a podium. There he can be seen very clearly by the 104 people on the stage and by the hundreds of people in the audience. The audience claps. The man bows. He is the conductor, the leader of the orchestra, and he holds a stick in his hand. It is called a baton, which is French for stick. The conductor raises the baton in the air. Way up on the ceiling of the Philharmonic, six chandeliers sparkle silently. The conductor brings the baton down, and the hall, which is as wide and long as a red velvet football field, fills with music. The music floats and rises. It sings and dances from violas, violins, cellos, double basses, flutes, a piccolo, bassoons, clarinets, oboes, French horns, trumpets, trombones, a tuba, a harp, drums, cymbals, chimes, and one thin silver triangle. It is 8.30 on Friday night, and the 105 men and women, dressed completely in black and white, have gone to work turning the black notes on white pages into a symphony. They are the members of the Philharmonic Orchestra, and their work is to play beautifully. Rachenka's Eggs by Patricia Palacho Obushka lived alone in Adasha, a little house in the country, but she was known far and wide for the fine eggs that she lovingly painted. Her eggs were so beautiful that she always won first prize at the Easter festival in Moscow. Each day Babushka would take the shell of an egg from her basket and paint it in wonderful designs. 
using the shapes of stars and flowers, triangles and circles, through the long cold winter Babushka painted. Then one day after a snow scorn, Babushka went outside. She could still hear the faint sound of falling snow. It was a sound like soft rain. Herds of caribou came to feed at Babushka's because the grasses they usually ate were covered with snow. A miracle, she whispered as she fed some. These wild things have found their way to me. Just then, a flock of noisy geese honked loudly overhead. As they glided over the snow, one of them faltered and fell from the sky. Babushka went to where the goose lay crumpled in the snow. A hunter did this, Babushka grumbled. She carefully picked up the goose and took it back to her little house. There she fed the little goose from her own table and put the goose in her best basket lined with the warmest quilt from her own bed. I shall name you a good name, one that we can both like, eh, my little friend, she said as she patted the goose's head. How do you like Rachenka? Yep, then Rachenka it shall be. With Babushka's care, Rachenka grew stronger as each day passed. To repay her kindness, Rachenka laid an egg for breakfast every morning. As Rachenka got better, she waddled around the little house, exploring every nook, cupboard, and corner. One day, she jumped on top of Babushka's work table, overturning the jars of bright-colored paint that she used to color the eggs. Yeah, Babushka screamed as she chased the goose with a broom. No! The frightened goose flapped her wings to get away and knocked over the basket of eggs that Babushka had so lovingly painted. The eggs crashed onto the floor and shattered into millions of pieces. They were both very sad. There was no reason now for Babushka to go to the festival. The next morning, Babushka slowly got out of bed and trundled over to Rachenka's basket to get her morning egg. But when she reached the middle of the quilt, she picked out the most beautifully colored egg she had ever seen. A miracle, Babushka whispered, a miracle. She made small holes at both ends of the egg and blew the yolk and white into a dish to cook and eat later for breakfast. Then she held the egg up to the morning light and marveled at its beauty. After that, every morning for 12 mornings, there was another egg, each more beautiful than the one laid the day before. Soon, Babushka had enough eggs to take to the festival in Moskva. How wonderful, she thought. A miracle has replaced the eggs that were broken. Spring is here, my little friend, Babushka said to Rachenka the morning of the festival. Soon now you will be flying off to the north with your flock. She bustled to the hearth fire and brewed some of her most favorite tea. The two shared a saucer of tea with Kulich, a sweet Easter bread. She covered its each piece with pashka, a spread of cheese, butter, and raisins. They savored, savored each bit together. One for you, one for me, Babushka chanted. Da, da, my little friend, I shall surely miss you. But you are a wild thing, and a miracle sent you to me. It would not be right to ask you to stay here with me forever. When Babushka left her little house, she took one last look at Rachenka sitting on the doorstep. She waved, then took determined steps for Moskva with her basket of precious eggs. She crossed Lepitov Valley where the caribou mothers were walking their newborn calves. A miracle, she thought. New little lives, a miracle. She crossed the bridge over the Moskva River and soon she could see the onion domes of old Moskva. The festival was bright and exciting. There were goat carts selling coolish, processions, dancers, jugglers, and laughing children playing and running. Babushka showed her old friends the eggs. 
Her eggs are the most beautiful in all Russia, they thought. Look at them, the elders said. They almost glow, as if the paint is part of the shell itself. The judges picked Babushka's eggs as the most beautiful. Babushka was so happy. She beamed as she looked at the first prize, a feather bed quilt. As Babushka made her way homeward, a honking flock of geese flew overhead. Babushka gave them a long, lingering look. She wondered if Rachenko was one of them. When Babushka arrived at her home that evening, Rachenko was gone. Alone, she put the new quilt on her little bed. She brewed a cup of tea, ate the last of the Kulich and Pashka, got into bed with her favorite book of poems, and drifted off to sleep. She hadn't noticed Rachenka's basket. But that night, Babushka was awakened from a sound sleep by an ever-so-small sound. It was coming from Rachenka's basket. She hobbled closer and saw a glorious egg. But this one was different from all the others. It quivered and moved. It made tiny muffled sounds. The egg jumped, bumped, rolled, and pitched in the basket. Then there was a crack, and Babushka could see the very special gift Rachenka had left for you. All a miracle, Babushka said. And this little goose remained with Babushka always. Fireman Small by Lois Linsky. Fireman Small has a little fire engine. He keeps it in the firehouse. The little fire engine is a pumper. A pumper uses its engine to pump the water. The truck carries black section, suction hose to one side and a ladder on the other. The fire hose is in the body of the truck. Fireman Small sleeps upstairs in the firehouse. Ding, 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 goes the alarm bell. Two, three, fire at Church and Summer Streets, calls Fireman Small. He jumps out of bed quickly. Fireman Small slides down the pole. Fireman Small puts on his helmet and rubber coat. He jumps on the seat and starts the engine. Mm, mm, mm. The other firemen come running. Tinker, the fire dog, comes running too. The firehouse doors swing open. The little fire engine moves into the street. Nang, 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 goes the bell. The little fire engine goes faster and faster. All the cars pull over to the curb to let it pass. Nang, 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 goes the bell. Rear, 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 goes the siren. The little fire engine turns the corner into Main Street. Ning, 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 goes the bell. Rear, 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 goes the siren. All the people start to look. Where's the fire? The little fire engine comes to church in Summer Streets. The corner house is on fire. Smoke is coming out of doors and windows. The little fire engine slows down by the hydrant and drops off the hose. The firemen unload the hose from the truck. They lay the hose to the fire. Fireman Small screws on the novel, the nozzle on the end of the hose. The other end goes to the pumper. The suction hose goes from the pumper to the hydrant. Go inside the house, shouts Fireman Small. Find out where the fire is. The firemen take pikes and axes and march in at the door. Start the pump, orders Fireman Small. Turn the water on. The pump starts pumping. Swish. The water comes shooting out of the nozzle. The family carries sofa, lamps, tables, and chairs out of the house. A fireman calls out the window. The fire is around the kitchen chimney. Fireman Small and his men take the hose to the kitchen. They rush in at the back door. Oh, look, everybody looks. A little girl is standing at the upstairs window. She has a kitten in her arms. Mama, she calls. Stay right where you are, answers her mother. Fireman Small is coming. He will bring you down. Get the ladder, orders Fireman Small. The firemen run and bring the ladder. Run it up, hurry. Fireman Small climbs up the ladder. 
He lifts the little girl out of the window and carries her down. She runs to her father and mother. Hooray, shout the people. Fireman Small goes up the ladder again. He takes his axe. The fire is in the attic now. He chops a hole in the roof. The firemen take the hose up the ladder. Fireman Small squirts the water down into the hole. Tss, white clouds of steam rise up. The flames die down. The fire is out, shouts Fireman Small. Stop the pump. Turn off the water. The firemen do what they are told. They put everything back in the truck. Tinker is still waiting in his seat. The fire is over, says Fireman Small. Move right back in again. The family carry their sofa, lamps, tables, and chairs into the house. The fire is over, says Fireman Small. Let's go. He drives slowly back to the firehouse. And that's all about Fireman Small. You are all my favorites by Sam McBratney. Once upon a time, there was a mother bear, a father bear, and three baby bears. A first baby bear, a second baby bear, and a third baby bear. Whoever tucked them in at night always said the same thing to them. You are the most wonderful baby bears in the whole wide world. One night after mommy bear had tucked them in and after she had said, you are the most wonderful baby bears in the whole wide world, the baby bears began to wonder. But how do you know, they asked their mommy bear, how do you know we're the most wonderful baby bears in the whole wide world? Because your daddy told me, said mama bear. When your daddy saw you on the night you were born, he said, and I remember it very well, he said, those are the nicest baby bears I have ever seen. They are the nicest baby bears anyone has ever seen. That was a good answer. The three baby bears snuggled down as content as could be. But one day the first baby bear began to think. He wondered if the other two bears were nicer than he was. They had patches after all, and he did not. Maybe his mommy really, really liked patches. And the second baby bear began to wonder. Maybe daddy loves the other two more than me, she thought. They were boy bears after all, and she was not. And the third baby bear began to wonder. I'm only the littlest, he thought. Everyone's bigger than me. So that night, the three baby bears asked their daddy bear, which of us do you like most? Who's your favorite? We can't all be best. Yes, you can, said daddy bear. I know you can, because I heard your mommy say so. When she saw you, and daddy bear picked up the first baby bear to give him a cuddle, she said, that is the most first, perfect first baby bear that anyone has ever seen. Even with no patches? Patches don't matter at all, replied his daddy as he tucked him in. And when your mommy saw you, Daddy Bear picked up the second baby bear. She said, that is the most perfect second baby bear that anyone has ever seen. Even if I'm not a boy, girl or boy, it makes no difference, said her daddy. And he hugged her tight. And when your mommy saw you, Daddy Bear lifted the last baby bear into his arms. She said, that is the most perfect third baby bear anyone has ever seen. Even if I'm the littlest, Bigly or Littly, we love you just the same. So there, three favorites. You're all my favorites. And the best baby bears in the whole world went to sleep as happily as could be because that was a good answer too. Are you my mother? by P.D. Eastman. A mother bird sat on her egg. The egg jumped. 
Uh-oh, said the mother bird. My baby will be here. He will want to eat. I must get something for my baby bird to eat, she said. I will be back. So away she went. The egg jumped and jumped and jumped. Out came the baby bird. Where's my mother, he said. He looked for her. He looked up. He did not see her. He looked down. He didn't see her. I will go and look for her, he said. So away he went. Down out of the tree he went. Down, down, down. It was a long way down. The baby bird could not fly. He could not fly, but he could walk. Now I will go and find my mother, he said. He did not know what his mother looked like. He went right by her. He did not see her. He came to a kitten. Are you my mother, he said to the kitten. The kitten just looked and looked and did not say a thing. The kitten was not his mother, so he went on. Then he came to a hen. Are you my mother, he said to the hen. No, said the hen. The kitten was not his mother. The hen was not his mother. So the baby bird went on. I have to find my mother, he said. But where? Where is she? Where could she be? Then he came to a dog. Are you my mother, he said to the dog. I am not your mother. I am a dog, said the dog. The kitten was not his mother. The hen was not his mother. The dog was not his mother. So the baby bird went on. Now he came to a cow. Are you my mother, he said to the cow. How can I be your mother, said the cow. I am a cow. The kitten and the hen were not his mother. The dog and the cow were not his mother. Did he have a mother? I did have a mother, said the baby bird. I know I did. I have to find her. I will. I will. Now the baby bird did not walk. He ran. Then he saw a car. Could that old thing be his mother? No, it could not. The baby bird did not stop. He ran on and on. Now he looked way, way down. He saw a boat. There she is, said the baby bird. He called to the boat, but the boat did not stop. The boat went on. He looked way, way up. He saw a big plane. Here I am, mother, he called out. But the plane did not stop. The plane went on. Just then the baby bird saw a big thing. This must be his mother. There she is, he said. This is my mother. He ran right up to it. Mother, mother, here I am, mother, he said to the big thing. But the big thing just said, snort. Oh, you're not my mother, said the baby bird. You're a snort. I have to get out of here. But the baby bird could not get away. The snort went up. It went way, way up. And up, up, up went the baby bird. But now where was the snort going? Oh, 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 where's the snort going to do with me? Get me out of here. Just then the snort came to a stop. Where am I, said the baby bird. I want to go home. I want my mother. Then something happened. The snort put that baby bird right back in the tree. The baby bird was home. Just then, the mother bird came back to the tree. Do you know who I am, she said to her baby. Yes, I know who you are, said the baby bird. You are not a kitten. You are not a hen. You are not a dog. You are not a cow. You are not a boat or a plane or a snort. You are a bird, and you are my mother. Miss Pigglewills, The Won't Pick Up Toys Cure, adapted from the Miss Pigglewiggle books by Betty McDonald. Mrs. Pigglewiggle lives here in our town. She has brown sparkly eyes and long brown hair, which she usually wears in a knot on top of her head. She has a dog called Wat, Wag and a cat called Lightfoot. But the most remarkable thing about Mrs. Pigglewiggle is her house, which is upside down. 
All the children love Mrs. Piggle Wiggle, and Mrs. Piggle Wiggle loves them. In fact, Mrs. Piggle Wiggle just naturally understands children, which is, of course, why all the parents call Mrs. Piggle Wiggle whenever their children are being difficult. Mrs. Piggle Wiggle always knows exactly what to do to help cure children's bad habits, like not picking up toys, which would Hubert Prentice's bad habit. Hubert was a very lucky boy whose grandfather always sent him wonderful toys for his birthday. Hubert had an electric train with a track that went four times around his bedroom. He had a great big wagon full of blocks, and he had 1,500 toy soldiers. He had a wooden circus, a fire engine with real sirens and lights, and so many books that he had to have two bookcases in his room. Hubert liked all of his toys, and he generally shared them with his friends, but he never put them away. When Hubert's mother would tell Hubert to pick up his toys, all he ever did was stuff them under the bed or into the closet. Mrs. Prentice was getting tired of picking up all of Hubert's toys by herself. One rainy day, Hubert invited his friends over to play. They took out every one of Hubert's toys and played with them all afternoon. Then they went home for dinner and didn't put a single toy away. The next time Mrs. Prentice opened the door to Hubert's room, she just looked and looked. Then she went downstairs and called Mrs. Pigglewiggle. When Mrs. Prentice told Mrs. Pigglewiggle about Hubert's toys, Mrs. Pigglewiggle said, I think that the best thing for you to use is my old-fashioned won't-pick-up-toys cure. Starting right down, don't pick up any of Hubert's toys. When his room becomes so messy he can't get out of it, call me. So Mrs. Prentice didn't pick up any of Hubert's toys. She baked a chocolate cake and said, and she did not say a word to Hubert about his toys when Hubert's friends came over to play. The next morning when Hubert came down for breakfast, there was a little pan of paint from his watercolor paint set stuck in his hair. Hubert's mother did not say anything. The next morning, Hubert looked as though he hadn't slept very well. The morning after that, Hubert had two pans from his paint set stuck to his hair, and he had a red mark on his cheek that was the shape of one of his blocks. Hubert's mother thought he must have slept on it. On the seventh day, Hubert didn't come out of his room at all. At 11 o'clock, his mother got worried and called Mrs. Pigglewiggle. Hubert must be trapped in his room, said Mrs. Pigglewiggle. Wait until he calls for food and then put a piece of dry bread with peanut butter on the garden rake and poke it in through his window. He'll have to drink out of the hose. When Mrs. Prentice hung up the telephone, she heard Hubert shouting, Mom, I'm hungry! She got a crusty piece of bread, spread some peanut butter on it, and took it around to the side of the house. Soon, a hand and an arm appeared at Hubert's window. The hand found the bread, grabbed it off the rake, and then banged the window shut. That night, Hubert's mother stuck his meat and potato and vegetable on the rake, and his father pushed the hose through the window. It took Hubert a long time to reach the window. The next day, around two o'clock, Hubert heard music and children's voices laughing and calling from outside. When he finally managed to look out the window, he saw Mrs. Pigglewiggle and all his friends, and right behind them came a circus parade. Hurry, hurry, called Mrs. Pigglewiggle. Hurry, Hubert, we're all marching to the circus. But Hubert couldn't get out of his room. There were too many train cars and blocks and toy soldiers and books in the way. He could hear the music getting farther and farther away, and he began to cry. Then he heard a tap at his window. It was the rake with a note on it. Dear Hubert, the only way to get out of that trap is to put everything away where it belongs. If you hurry, we will wait for you. Your friend, Mrs. Pigglewiggle. Hubert put away his blocks, his train cars, his paints, 
his circus, and his books. He made his bed and put away his toy soldiers. He was just putting away his very last toy soldier when he heard the music again. He put the toy in the box, put the box in the closet, and tore down the stairs and out the front door. There they came, Mrs. Picklewiggle and all the children and the circus. Hubert ran out to meet them, and away they went down the street with Hubert carrying the flag and yelling the loudest. And no one said anything at all about the pan of orange paint stuck in his hair. Ordinary Mary's Extraordinary Deed by Emily Pearson. Ordinary Mary was so very ordinary that you'd never guess she could change the world. That's ordinary kid, she did. She changed the world. One ordinary day, skipping on her way from her ordinary school to her ordinary house, she passed an ordinary vacant lot filled with ordinary bushes, growing ordinary berries, ordinary blue and juicy, luscious, lovely berries. Well, ordinary Mary picked the ordinary berries and brought them in a big brown bowl to Mrs. Bishop's porch. What? Left berries in a big brown bowl on Mrs. Bishop's porch? That sneaky kid, she did. This made Mrs. Bishop very, very happy. So she baked a big batch of blueberry muffins and thought of five people who might have brought those beautiful berries then secretly gave each a plate. How great, 50 people got a plate. One of those five was her paper boy, Billy Parker. And when Billy saw his name on a note in the driveway on the plate, he quickly parked his bike and ate every crumb. Oh, yum, 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 he ate every crumb. This made him so glad that the next five people got their papers on the porch and not in the bushes where he often threw them. In fact, they were handed right to them. One of those five was Mr. Stevens, who was so amazed that he smiled for 10 hours on the airplane, then said to five different people who had heavy bags, here, let me help you. He still smiled and they did too. One of those five was Maria, whose cranky little boy James stopped crying when Mr. Stevens played peekaboo with him until their ride came. When he waved goodbye, Maria exclaimed, how strange that a stranger would be so sweet. And the next day when she was out shopping, once, twice, five times she did something nice for five different people, five times without stopping. One of those five was Joseph, old and bent and gray, in front of her in line at the produce stand. When he said, I guess I counted wrong. I don't really need these oranges. Little James reached out to him with an orange from their basket. And Maria put a coin in Joseph's hand and said, Here, take this. The oranges are on us. As Joseph shuffled to the bus, his heart was full and his eyes were wet. And his hands did helpful things for the next five people he met. One of those five was Sarah, a college girl who was off to see the world and stopped at Joseph's shop. When her bag broke and her things fell all over the floor, she said, oh, Dear, what will I do? Joseph said, This is for you. And he gave her a new bag woven with his own hands in red and purple and green. Oh, thank you, she said. It's the loveliest bag I've ever seen. When Sarah left, she felt sunny as noon, and she just had to shine on five people soon. One of those five was Sophia, who she met on a boat, looking like the world might end, looking like someone without a friend. What beautiful blue eyes you have, Sarah said, and they're just the color of the flowers in your lovely dress. Yes, said Sophia. Oh, yes, said Sarah. The beautiful blue eyes shed a happy tear. And when the boat trip was through, Sophia called five people to make them happy too. 
One of those five was Tom, her son, the doctor, who was having a very hard day. Hi, she said. I love you, Tom. Well, how great to hear your voice, he sighed. I always need my mom. Tom, Dr. Tom, was so cheered up that on his next break, he bought a big bunch of bright balloons for five young patients, and he handed them out right there and then. One of those five was Peter, a little boy who went home from the hospital that very day. Gratitude for the big bunch of bright balloons filled him and thrilled him and spilled out of him and onto the next five people who came his way. One of those five was Eric, teenage boy whose sacks and such were way too much. When one dropped on the sidewalk, Peter stopped his play and rushed over saying, super wheels to the rescue. Well, Eric, no longer stressed, was very impressed and made a mental note that very afternoon to help five people and do it soon. One of those five was Di, his 10-year-old sister, who didn't have many friends and was painfully shy. When Eric said, hey sis, wanna come to the park and learn how to ride my skateboard? She looked at him wide-eyed. Serious, she said? Sure, he said. And because of her brother, Di decided maybe she could be a friend to five others. One of those five was Louise, a homeless woman who lived under the trees. She could hardly believe her ears when she heard Di say, may my brother and I buy you a hot dog and a drink at that stand over there? Could it be true? Someone actually cared? Cared enough to give her food and a smiley-faced ring that was practically new? Louise was so pleased that she decided that even though she had nothing, she would find five others and give them something. One of those five was Mr. Taylor who lost his wallet in the park. Louise found it full of fives and tens and twenties. Oh, what she could do with all that money. But she found his name and called his home and over he came. He was so impressed that she was honest in spite of being poor that he offered her a job in his store and vowed to do something generous for five people or more. One of those five was Kate, a woman on vacation who wanted to see a show she'd heard was a sensation. Oh no, she said, it's sold out, but I'm going home tomorrow. And her face filled with sorrow. Mr. Taylor held out his ticket. I live here, he said, I can go anytime, take mine. Kate loved the show and was so touched that she thought buying five presents for five people back home would really be fun. And one of those five presents was a little heart necklace for Mary, her niece. And you should have seen her eyes light up in surprise. Mary? What? Ordinary Mary? Yes. Ordinary Mary's extraordinary deed had come full circle. And on its way, he, it had changed the lives of every person living. You see, when Mrs. Bishop made muffins for Mary Blueberries, not only the paperboy Billy Parker, but the other four people, too, made five people smile. And those five people, too, and after a while, in only 15 days, love was sent to every person everywhere. Just see how it went. One, five, 25, 125, 625, 3,125, 15,625, 78,125, 390,625, 1,953,125, 9,765,625, 48,828,125, 1,220,703,125, Well, six billion is even more than all the people on the planet. So after everyone had a share and everybody knew that somebody cared, there was even love left over. The world was changed and thousands and millions and billions agreed it was all because one ordinary day, ordinary Mary, did a perfectly ordinary, stunningly earth-shaking, 
totally extraordinary deed.